Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. edition of All Marine Radio, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network, so hope you're having a good morning, wherever you are, um, peace negotiations in, I guess, Turkey between Russia and Ukraine. Russia is supposedly claiming that they're they're ready to decree decrease operations in the vicinity of Kiev, drawing a jaundiced eye from the United States. And supposedly, um, the United States is okay with Ukrainian Ukraine giving up populate, giving up um, land in this negotiation, and the UK is not. You know, isn't the appropriate like position like, hey, we support the Ukrainians in these negotiations and whatever they believe is best. Who the hell is anybody else if the elected government of Ukraine says, yeah, we're open to adjusting that that international border? I, I read that this morning, and I and I laughed. Like, oh, what, the U.K. isn't? Like, who the fuck are, who the fuck are they? And uh, I don't know. I just, for whatever reason, found that amusing. 
um, somebody sent me an email and said, hey, Mac, what do you think of this? Um, and I will tee it up for you here in a second. It is a... I can't get the live stream to load. Did you goon it up again? Well, let me... Let me find out. It's the second time within a week that this has happened. Yeah, I don't I don't rightly understand it, but now it says the live stream is good. So this is the second time in a week this has happened, so I'm not Exactly sure what the hell's going on. So let me check it out. There's the live stream. And now it doesn't work. You live stream powers the audio behind the website to capture more listeners. Please wait. Your live stream URL is getting fired up. This may take up to 10 minutes. Hmm. Well, Grant's going to join us here in a few minutes. And so um, we shall see how quickly this gets going. Now it's on. Okay, so greetings to everybody. Uh, if you're out there, um, I don't know what happens when this happens. Honestly, somebody will tell me the live stream's off, and then um, and then it shows up. So anyhow. Uh, good morning to everybody out there that's uh, that's now found their way to the live stream. Don't ask me why. I can't explain it. Um, sometimes it happens. Ohio man is emailing me. What the hell's going on? So we'll see if Mason can figure it out. Try it now. So, um, yeah, so somebody sends me, okay, yeah, somebody else got on, so it's working. All right. Somebody sent me um, an email and said, uh, see the attached. Hopefully this panel will answer hard questions regarding Force Design 2030 if it's interactive. I challenge you to ask a hard question like you do on your podcast with, with the retirees on a frontal assault, it appears this panel might be a counterattack. And so there's an attached USMC force design. Uh, and it features General Eric Smith, who's the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, a Lieutenant General Carson Heckel, I'm a fan, Combat Development and 
integration. Major General Ben Watson, Marine Corps Warfighting Lab. Brigadier General Arthur Brasagian, uh, Marine Corps Systems Command. A fan of uh, Ben Watson and uh, General Brasagian. And uh, then the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Troy Black. So, uh, yeah, so it says, save my seat. So in this form. And um, I will tell you this, um, that the Commandant sat down with these general officers that are, that are not pleased with the direction of the Marine Corps. It's not like they don't know the Marine Corps, right? And so whatever the, the commandant himself told them has us here. So now this event has um, all the people on the undercard. Are they going to say something that he didn't say? Are they going to, you know, I mean, it, it reminds me of the classic when, you know, foreigners travel overseas and they speak louder, right? Hello, can you hear what I'm telling you, right? Are you paying attention now? Wait, because you speak louder, it doesn't, doesn't change the message, does it? So anyway, um, we will uh, pay attention closely to, to what... Mason's in, so we're all, everybody's okay. All right, so that's good. Uh, so good morning to everybody. Grant's going to join me here this morning. And uh, so, yeah, this event is on that somebody sent me the email to. Um, let's see. What does it say? What does this placard say? Uh, Marine Corps Force Design, live at the air, sea, and space. Live at air, sea, and space. Gives Has everybody's picture. The requirements to win tomorrow's battles are not constant are not only constantly changing, but also intensifying in frequency and importance, in frequency and importance. Dive deeper into the impetus of Force Design 2030 and how the Marine Corps will counter threats across a competitive competition continuum. Save my seat, April 5th, 2022 at 9 a.m. Eastern, and I don't know if the forum's going to be an interactive forum or if they will uh, if they will simply, you know, give their pitch about force design. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting because, like I said, I mean, the Commandant's interacted with these guys from the alumni. The alumni are not stupid. Okay, they've some of them have sat in his seat, and his response did not put an end to this, okay? So now, what the people uh, who work for the Commandant are going to say, right? So now this is the charm offensive, I would think, right? Again, and I don't say that with any disrespect to any of them, right? They're his subordinates. They're expected to go out. This is what they do, go out and sell it. But it did not in any way, shape, or form uh, reassure, reassure, reassure the people um, involved in in the criticism of the commandant. It has not dissuaded them. So again, 
But again, ex- again, expect the commandant to push back on this in a uh, in uh, in his own way and be competitive uh, for the hearts and minds of whoever will uh, whoever will uh, cast the vote, and really for the hearts and minds of Capitol Hill. So Grant Newsom's going to join me right now, and what I want to talk to Grant about is is a few things. One, uh, Solomon Islands put out a statement saying that we need to diversify our own security. Right. Um, so we need to do that. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, the Philippines are conducting, as we speak, largest military exercise with the United States and in the last seven years. So we'll talk to Grant about that. And then we'll also talk to him about, get his thoughts on, uh, again, Russia v. Ukraine. Are we, are we buying any of the peace talk nonsense? I, I, I tend to buy some of it. But um, while they're talking peace, the Ukrainians have to continue to lay the wood to the Russians. Okay. Um, that's really important why you talk peace because talking peace is a strategy and a lot of times repositioning forces, moving logistics and all that stuff happen. Um, I'm not sure what that was. So we'll get Grant on and we'll talk about that. And we'll, as we always do, we'll talk about China's role in, uh, in all of this. So. With, with apologies. Let's see if we can get Grant. And here he is. None, none other than the... Uh, uh, none other than, yes. yes. <laughs> none, none other than Grant yes. Newsom, Colonel, United States Marine Corps, retired. Um, I, I have that right. Not Lieutenant Colonel, but Colonel, Correct. Yeah. Well, so was Colonel Sanders. Yes, that's correct. No, no, vastly different. Colonels are senators, I've been told. Is that true? Well, uh, it's a secret that the higher up I got, the more, (laughs) the less impressed I got. Yes, I have heard that thing that you hear the expression council of colonels and this and that and um, well, when it takes a three star to approve the menu for a Marine Corps ball dinner, uh, you wonder. But no, I'm being a little mean. It's just it's I haven't burned off my so resentment function for the day. Got but it. I yeah, I'm I'm not inclined to um attribute too much wisdom or brilliance to myself. Okay. Just but just for the record, I mean you hear that you hear that tossed about by You you do. Mm-hmm. By, I've I've heard it. Yeah. So congratulations on being I'm a... still waiting to get invited <laughs> to one of those councils of colonels, yes. Oh, you, you never got invited. Interesting. The um so what do you make of the peace negotiations going on? I think it's in in Turkey. Um peace negotiations are an age old tactics to stall and reposition forces, replenish logistics and things like that. So you continue to do uh the work you set out to do. Um uh, however, I do believe uh, Russia's got a problem, and normally when you have a problem and you don't believe you're going to 
be able to achieve militarily what you sought. Uh, normally, there is some recipe for a an agreement in that failure. So um, I would ask you, what do you make of the the peace talks? And do you think ultimately they will bear any fruit? Um, not long term, but, you know, you never know, you know, because it's sometimes both sides would like to have a break uh, and will reach an agreement to kind of stop fighting. Uh, but for some reason, I'm not inclined to trust uh, Vladimir Putin. Uh, I can't think of why uh, I would. You know, I'm just about as suspicious as you can possibly be of this and of any suggestion that they're pulling back or that they've, you know, they, they learned their lesson and sure aren't going to try that again. I, I don't think we're at that point. Uh, and so I remain as, you know, I've you know, completely um, on the alert as to what's, um, what's coming. Uh, I think certainly the Russians did get surprised and bloodied, to put it mildly. Uh, but they are persistent, and I wouldn't be surprised if they've got something else up their sleeve and uh, redeploying forces um, and probably going to try something on a new front. But also, you never quite know, try it in a new way. Uh, and it's some way that surprises us. And that's why I would, I would not relax uh, one bit, and I doubt the Ukrainians are either. But sometimes uh, both sides kind of need a breather. And, you know, if the, the Russians have sort of pulled back a bit or, or stopped their, their uh, what their efforts, um, that that is, you know, you can't ignore that. But you do have to wonder, you know, what's ha what you know, they've got in mind now. So if you're a betting man, would you bet? So, so if you look at, a, well, let me ask you a question. I've read that as Russia began to call up reservists and, and try to source more equipment, they found that much of the equipment had been, was in ill repair. Um, anything that had precious metal in, it, in, in, in that equipment had been stolen and sold, and sold for the precious metals in that. And so only about, in the article I read, which came from a, a credible source. Um, they said only about 10 to 20% of the equipment is anywhere near a state that they could get it functioning in, in the short term. So that they're finding that, that the reserve that they have on paper is not anywhere close to what he needs. So, and then you have the proposition of roadbound supply lines extended into Ukraine getting hammered. And again, because you can't, anybody that's familiar with Russian front history knows that uh, when the spring thaw comes, you cannot take armor off road. So, the proposition of logistics and resupply into the, into the area around Kyiv is very problematic. So that creates a little bit of a conundrum for Vladimir Putin. And um, so you've seen some really interesting reporting. New York Times did something really interesting talking about uh, what they've gleaned from uh, uh, Russian units that are operating in the clear from simply what they say. Uh, 
and uh, is fascinating look into it. And so you put all those pieces together, not the most optimistic picture for the Russians um, as they continue to uh, wage this war against Ukraine. Um, yeah, it, you know, they've certainly got some problems. And the, the one thing that's interesting is the corruption issue. And it, it is believable, I think, if you're familiar with those kind of societies, uh, that the corruption just it sprouts and everywhere. And it would surprise me if some of the things that have been described are, in fact, uh, accurate. Um, even in the old Soviet Union, just the corruption was everywhere. And maybe it has manifested itself somewhat in the sort of the readiness of uh, sort of reserve and, and hardware. So it would surprise me. But I'm not sure that that's the end of the game uh, that, you know, when it comes to Russian capabilities. So I wouldn't be surprised. You know, so I wouldn't think that's the, you know, the, the end of it. You know, when they do make their next push. Or they still are making pushes. I don't know that the Ukrainians could really defend by just saying, well, they, because of corruption, they've got some problems. But it, I think they've still got those kind of regimes still man, managed to put together some combat power, uh, so despite their internal problems, which really are immense. Uh, the way that see, see, corruption, criminal activity, organized crime, which is tied into the government in some form in most cases, the way that operates. So that could indeed have an effect. I um, must say I hadn't thought of that. Uh, the the problems you, you've mentioned with the thaw, and I thought this winter was actually uh, sort of not all that cold as Ukraine goes. Um, but that is, is a problem, but things will harden up eventually or dry out. And if dry you out, just, yeah. just wait, then uh, you can overcome that problem of having to stay to the the hard roads. But the I've heard that there's um, like the Americans are retiring something like 300 Reaper drones, uh, and boy, if anybody could use them, it would be the Russia, the Ukrainians. And um, I don't believe that we're going to hand them over to them and put them into operation, from what I've heard. But when you've got things lined up on known roads, um, those things could probably clean them out pretty nicely. Uh, well, I would tell you, in, in the discussion of the MiGs, um, to me, as a somebody who, you know, you can, you know, a fixed-wing asset checks on station. If you want it to do CAS, you know, you get a, a check-in that sounds like uh, Inchon Air, this is, you know, Viper 6-1, a flight of F-18s with whatever ordnance they're hanging with you know 25 minutes of station time and uh then we'll be off to tank we'll come back for another 20 minutes and then we're done that's 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 a flight of you know f-18s and you know reaper checks on for eight hours or longer and so i mean the the work that the drones do uh in, in this kind of world and and there's no pilot in a thing that is going to get killed so you don't have to take that precaution either um, yeah, if you want, if you want to give them something truly deadly, you know, I would say way better than the MIGs, uh, is, is, uh, drones that you could sell them. And if those things are sitting around, uh, owned by a defense corporation, uh, I would say sell them yet, sell them right now. Right. And, and they tend to be defensive in nature. Um, not, you know, something that you, you would have to worry about, you know, a fighter, 
uh, or whatnot. So, um, yeah, as things go, uh, those things are, are incredible assets, both in terms of ISR, uh, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, as well as, you know, being shooters. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's interestingly enough, I mean, we burn up much of the, the Marine Corps fixed-wing assets doing something that drones did much better. <laughs> and uh yeah, yeah and, and we we yeah. would not come off that and i don't know if it was a fixed wing community that that cannot stand the thought of losing you know not being able to play in the uh the volley the top gun volleyball game and we're going to have these uh, chubby drone drivers that don't look like uh val kilmer and tom cruise um yeah it's going to be a shitty volleyball game and it's really going <laughs> to look bad on, it's really going to look bad in the movies because they're not the same dude but um way more cost effective and incredibly more lethal um and again sometimes you need a pilot up there no doubt and it helps but most of the time we did not we need people that could be on station for long periods of time and those drones let me tell you if if, if those drones can get there uh and and we in some way shape or form can can get them there then i'll tell you what yeah, they, it, they tilt the battlefield in a hurry in a big way yeah, you know, as much as I would know anything from thousands of miles away, I have heard that that issue has been raised and it has been turned down. Uh, you know, it could be wrong. I don't know. But you can you've laid out what these things could do. Oh, man. Uh, and the Ukrainians probably wouldn't mind getting them. Oh. Uh, you know, you're one aspect thing that you notice, you know, from trying to follow it and, um, you know, listen to people, you know, who are there and, you know, is that the while there's a lot maybe a lot of stuff getting pushed into Ukraine, um, it doesn't all it sort of trickles out or trickles down to a trickle by the time it gets to the the sharp end to the very front. Right. And it's sort of the way the Colorado <clears throat> the Colorado River, you know, up in wherever it starts in Colorado, uh, by the time it gets to Mexico, you know, if you like turning on your faucet at best. Uh, and I wonder if there. So I think there may be an aspect of that in the the fight in Ukraine, and it, you know, and that's to be on my way of thinking. It's, it's even thinking. It's even more important, you know, to make sure that the the good stuff get gets where it needs to go, and that they have plenty of it. Uh, and that's where you know I, I hope we're not trying to sort of um, pull a McNamara, not you McNamara, but Robert McNamara, and, you know, calculate just how much they can use without getting the Russians angry or without giving the Ukrainians any ideas uh, to do something we don't want them to do, sort of the way we've supplied Taiwan over the years, uh, sort of like they tried to do at the very beginning of Afghanistan, if you remember the first few days. Well, we want to bomb them just enough so they talk, and we don't want to give the Northern Alliance any ideas about moving south. Right. So we're going to just apply this calibrated force. Uh, and that was a complete screw-up. Uh, so, so I hope we're giving, that the Ukrainians are getting everything they need. And when something like, say, drones does come to mind, uh, it, you know, it's something certainly well, worth considering and approving, not considering and rejecting would be my thinking. But once again, it's uh, from the, the peanut gallery. Yeah. You know, um, I talked to, I was trying, I was, I was, I was being paid today by the air force. So I talked to uh, an accounting guy in Germany who happened to be German. And so we got to talking about Ukraine and, and whatnot. And he said, you know, 
um, I mentioned that Ms. Merkel, not seen in public very much recently, um, mm -hmm. and uh, he got a chuckle out of that. And um, he said, yeah, he said, it's a very interesting time. Um, he said, you know, we're, you see, you're seeing discussions about, you know, Russia post-Putin and that he cannot survive this. And I said, what do you think of that? He said, well, I'm not so sure. He seems to be a, a relatively wily guy. And uh, he said, but um, there doesn't seem to be anybody um, uh, who would take his place and be able to do what he does in terms of intimidation and, and whatnot. And he said, um, he said, so it would be an interesting thought here in Europe you know, w w without Russia as such a menacing, um, with without Russia as such a menacing entity, and uh, somebody who would develop the economy of Russia, and I, I said, yeah, that would be interesting. You know, the the economy of Russia. You know, with, you know, um, smaller than the size of the Canadian economy, and 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 the vast majority of that. Is, um, is, is natural resources that are extracted. And he said, oh, I didn't think of that. And I said, yeah, the, the Russian people produce nothing. You know, it's a joke, an absolute joke. And, and, and he said, yeah, he said, Europe would be so much different. So it's, you know, again. Uh, you, know, you know, one thing uh, to keep in mind is a little, going back a little farther, is that after the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, that Russia underwent about a decade of just absolute economic chaos and depression. And it was helped, it was sort of spurred on by really a, a bunch of advisors from the West, many of them Americans, some of them from Ivy League schools who came in and uh, basically screwed things up even more. Uh, I, and that's often not remembered, it's just how bad things were in the 90s. So when Putin comes along uh, and his guys, it, that the whatever they've done has made things better. So they get some credit for uh, having righted uh, Russia yeah. after that decade of uh, when we had the opportunity uh, really to help them along and we didn't. Uh, we didn't do what uh, was needed or we certainly got an F for whatever it is we did do. Um, and, and he is credited, Grant, right, with stopping the bleeding, right? In, in, but, that, in that Russia migration to some form of representative uh, democracy or representative government that did not go well and that, it, that is universally panned inside Russia. And Putin is credited with stopping the bleeding, restoring the breathing, and his bedside manner relative to treating for uh, shock, not so much. But <laughs> nonetheless, they live with that and they're okay with it. Yeah, so that's going back. So that's going back an extra decade, which kind of makes it <laughs> a little more understandable. But it was the economic chaos. You know, imagine if you found out that your whatever's in your bank account is today is worth uh, one tenth of what it is tomorrow. Uh, that was the kind of problems Russia had, and then you have you know these uh, thugs stealing everything. But I suppose that's always been Russia. Right. Um, but it was the economic uh, depression that, that hit, uh, that Putin gets some credit for having uh, restored, uh, taken, fixed in a way. 
Um, you know, Russians could go over, travel around the world. They weren't, you know, looked at askance too much. And, you know, but nowadays it's not quite so much. Um, but so, so I said, I'm not so sure that he's going to give up on Ukraine just yet. And I would imagine he has something else in mind. And do recall, remember in the run-up to this, when we were talking about what's he going to do and um, that there were a couple instances where, remember, the Russians even announced they were pulling back and the American intelligence, um, I don't recall what they announced, but remember yeah, there was Yeah, they said there's, no, there's no indication that there's yeah. any substantive movement that yeah. has accompanied those statements. And so okay. I think what in the last 48, 72 hours, what you've seen from the United States is, hey, don't believe this. There's no... There's no movement of Russia's forces, uh, you know, to, to to move away from Kiev, right, or in any way, shape, or form to return to the Donbass region. So, you know. Yeah, so that's, I would, in this case, it's like for the first time ever, I would give the intelligence announcement some <laughs> some credibility. Things, you, things you've never heard come out of Grant's mouth. Well, for this time only. I've uh, gotten over it, but the... Uh, but you know you can see what's going on. You know it's not as if uh, we don't know those things. Uh, so, so let me ask you this: What do you think it's going to take for Joe Biden to stop like musing and making comments off the cut? What would it take? Do you think? You think he'll ever be able to uh, just just not? Yeah. And then and, and then how about through the wonders of digital camera work, right? We get a look at his notes that he walks out on stage with. <laughs> well, I use notes. I just usually have them on my hand exactly. or written on my hand. And that's that's a tradition <laughs> that goes back to cheating in elementary school, right? Um, the well, uh, <laughs> well, as for Biden, that, that, that President Biden, that question, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because you know it's he's been doing this his whole career right that's, and, that's and, just and the only yeah. reason you know, that that's the thing that's what i was going to try to figure and the figure right. a nice way to say it but he's always done this right. um and he he said things that you would charitably call puzzling sometimes you'd call them stupid and sometimes you'd say they're outright lies um, but he's always done that and he just almost one of those guys can't help himself but yeah. he hasn't always been president. Your famous and, line about he's like a dog licking himself, right? He just can't well, help it. But you're right. You, he hasn't been president. And, you know, the world reacts to his, you know, clearly calling for regime change in Russia. Uh -huh. And, and, and Grant, I mean, he, he, I think we talked about this last time, but he made the comment about if Russia um, uses... I don't know what exact term I would call them special weapons, but um, it, the nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons. Uh, he said America will respond. Now the appropriate answer is, as a member of NATO, NATO would reserve all all uh, options. It would keep all options on the table. That's what you say when you're the president of the United States, and somebody asks you a hypothetical question like that, and you just watch it, and you're like, shit again. And then he does it again. And so what do you think it's going to take for him to stop? Do you think, he's, do you think it's possible for this dog to stop licking itself? No, I, I don't actually. It, it's, you know, it, what, why would it? Why, yeah, you know, it's what they do. But, you know, the, the, I've had people tell me, well, he really 
these are well thought out um, statements and they aren't really the sort of this running on with the mouth that it looks like they're very clever and this and that. And who, I just, says, who says, who says, again, not, the only people that say that are like the 28% of Democrats who are like the 28% of Republicans that, that defend everything that their party does, right? That's who, that's oh, who that is. Yeah. Well, yes, I've had people say that and they, which is, but the point, I guess, there is that people will look at these this differently. I don't, and I don't think most other people do, that once you said something, it has a normal meaning, and particularly when you say it in a public forum, that there's a normal interpretation that everyone will automatically take. And if you have to have your people go back and explain what you really meant uh, or why it really is this clever stratagem to fool the the Russians or do this or that, that that is not communicating. That is you know, kind of idiocy. It's so well, you're so describing just, the role of the White House. Uh, uh, what do you what would you call that? They're, the media people. That's a that's a that's the weekly endeavor they're up to constantly walking back his comments. Did you see Blinken trying to but, 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 what he meant to say, uh, 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 he's talking about the moral outrage of the world and, and, and that this, yeah. this will mm-hmm. be a decision that the, the Russian people say, yeah, that's not what he said. No, you, you want a pre- <laughs> it's, you know, whoever it is, a president, a leader, you want them to use the English language a little better. Just, uh, uh, and, you know, that, that, you know, to me is you know, really what is required. That it re- he's but really don't, got you to find it ama- don't you find it amazing, though? that this guy can be doing this for this long, right? And making at now, when he speaks, he's not speaking as Joe Biden, Senator Biden anymore. He's speaking as the president of the United States. And for some reason, he cannot, does, does he not intellectually grasp, do you think? This is a scary thing. Does he not intellectually grasp what he's doing? And, he, and, no, I, and therefore he keeps doing it? I don't know. You know, I... I don't know. I, um, you know, one does ask. Well, remember how Donald President, then President Trump, was criticized for his language. Right. Uh, he was criticized for having an accent like everyone else from Queens, New York. And then there was George Bush, who said nuclear. Uh, and remember how they were just savaged with um, for these mistakes or whatever you want to call them, idiosyncrasies. Well, um, but, but this, here, is but not, you have, this is not an idiosyncrasy, right? Oh, I'll right? say that again. When you, you know, think about it, when you tell a, a fellow like uh, Putin that you got to go, um, one does have to ask, how is he going to respond to that? And, you know, that, that you know, I agree with you com- uh, completely is that, you know, you've got to be very careful in the words you use when dealing at this level of international politics or is representing being the guy in the uh, what used to be the most powerful nation on earth um, and dealing with the guy these the people he's dealing with uh, you know you better be very careful and if you if it is an intentional move to tell him that he's got to go well you better be sure you can get him there uh, and I'm not convinced that we can so this sort of these sorts of statements uh, that just come one after another. Uh, they are troubling. It's not, um, you know, what I would like to hear coming out of uh, that particular position. Um, let me switch gears with you. 
And uh, I want to talk uh, to follow up something that you um, you talked about last week. Uh, the Solomon Islands have declared that uh, f- for uh, that it is necessary for them to diversify their security, and that is the reason they are uh, engaged with China. So, article written in the Wall Street Journal about it. Um, what's the article entitled? China Pact Necessary to Diversify Security Ties, Solomon Islands says. Subheadline, Prime Minister says the small Pacific nation has no intention of stoking geopolitical struggle with the U.S. and its allies. Now, um, but um, Solomon Islands, I mean, they have uh, had an agreement with Australia, right, um, relative to security. That no longer seems to suffice. So is this simply the smoke screen that goes with um, the smoke screen that goes with the uh, uh, the monetary benefits? And this is why we're doing it. Yeah. If you listen to what Sogavarde, who's the prime minister of the Solomon Islands, if you listen to what he's said and been saying, it sounds like he's getting his not just talking points, from the Chinese. It sounds like the Chinese are sitting by his side saying, write this. Uh, it, it very much is what the Chinese u- use to justify their uh, expansion uh, into any country. And it's just classic, you know, what he's saying. And you are right that Sogovari has been uh, on the Chinese payroll for a good long while. And it's, uh, now we're seeing this play out. Uh, in, in the Solomons. So th- this isn't a like a bunch of, say, a council of colonels or these, you know, the, these council of senators and, you know, in the, <laughs> the Solomon Islands got together and figure out what's best for our country. Now, this is the result of uh, a long time, a lot of Chinese influence, bribes, money being moved under the tables, uh, etc. And that's why the decision has been made. Um, Sogavari would probably lose a vote uh, if one was held. Um, and what there's fear that he's going to do is to, uh, one, suspend the elections or postpone them. And also, if you read the agreement they signed with the Chinese, it um, allows the Chinese to come in to help the Solomon Islands maintain order. Uh, and there's fear that that's what he's going to do. There's a, one of the, the biggest province, Malita, is very anti-China, uh, very pro-democracy, pro-freedom. And there's a fear that he is going to sort of provoke something or stage something that allows him to call the Chinese in to go after the people in Malaita province. Um, This is not a good turn of events, um, especially considering that after the rioting last year, that he was on the verge of being forced out. He was on the verge of stepping down. And then the Australians came and saved his bacon. Boy, that was a good move. and now, if you read the agreement that he has signed with the um, with the, the Chinese, and you don't even have to be a lawyer. I mean, anybody can read it. You see, well, this gives the Chinese almost full military access to the Solomon Islands whenever they want and to do anything they want there. And that's what it allows. Um, so the Chinese have finally taken the gloves off when it comes to putting a mili- trying to put a military presence into the Pacific. And Solomon Islands happens to be where they, they do it first. Um, just as an aside, you, know, you mentioned the, um, 
the, the Wall Street Journal article, I was got a small quote in an, one on the subject, I think a week or two ago, a week ago, maybe. And um, I gave the guy like 600 words and he used like 10. But I did suggest as part of my comments <laughs> that a couple of people in the U.S. government and the U.S. military ought to resign. Those didn't make the cut. Um, but that's really how serious this is. And and this was obvious uh, for from a very long time ago. And just it's certainly from three years ago uh, that America's had repeated chances to forestall this. Uh, they haven't done it. Uh, but this this is serious. It's the first time that the, the Chinese, as they have taken off the gloves and said, you know, we're a military, we, we have a military, we're going to uh, put it to work. And we'll see what comes now. Uh, but that, you know, once again, it seems like a small place, a small thing, but it's actually uh, big. You know, I've been waiting for, oh, 20 years or so for the Chinese to make their move. And I think they finally made it. The, um, yeah, interesting. But again, kind of a microcosm of the fight that goes on across the Pacific between the Chinese looking for to get beyond the first and second island chain and 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 just do that on the fly. Um, email Mac ask Grant uh, if he's seeing anything else relative to the uh, intramural fight inside the Marine Corps that has caught his attention. So we talked about it last week, uh, an unprecedented discussion going on. Uh, debate going on about uh, General Berger's forces on 2030. Have you seen anything in the last week, Grant, that has grabbed your attention that would uh, break squelch for you? A couple things. And the, the first one, actually, I think I just saw it yesterday, and it, I think it might have been in Marine Corps Gazette. It was um, about the, the, the topic, and it was written, I think, by a fellow named under pseudonym, not surprisingly and probably wisely, uh, Marinas, I think, was oh, the... Oh, yeah, that's their, that's their pseudonym, right? Their, oh, their anonymous writer. I, I mean, there's no possible way that, yeah, if I, that I would ever go public with this <laughs> if I was on active duty, the way that resentments are held. Nobody's going to say, well, you know, boy, I like, you know, Sonny, I like your style. You know, you got moxie. <laughs> no, your, your little moxie is, there. Take it on the uh, commandant yeah. in public like that. Uh, well uh, done. Oh, uh, yeah, and his, his, um, his, his people... Um, yeah, that it'd be as welcome as telling Tony Soprano, you know, boss, I think we could do a lot better if we did it this way. No, there, there's no future in that. But I thought that was it. I went through the his paper pretty quickly, and I thought it had some very, very good things in there. I thought that was a good a good one. But the other one I saw, and I don't think people would have. And the headline, uh, the headline on that is what? Uh, expeditionary advanced base operations is the Marine Corps abandoning maneuver warfare by Marinus. Is that it? That was it. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and he raised somewhat things that I would consider legitimate concerns about, you know, a, a big part of the, the new plan, as I understand it is, you know, where are you going to put these people? How are you going to keep them, uh, secret you know how are you going to feed them uh and you say he they raised a number of issues that i've wondered about and i would like to see somebody answer them um you know one of the things he points to is the he mentions it as in there is not as the only thing 
but I had noticed maybe a couple months ago a newspaper article about Marines learning how to like slice up chickens or, you know, eat wild game and stuff. And the idea is this is how they're going to sustain themselves on these, you know, these islands. And, and obviously, no sane person thinks this is how they're going to do it. But well, it, let me let me ask you this. I part. hope. What but, What would you think the probability would be if the Chinese fishing fleet has been tasked with tracking them. If the Chinese have um, drones, both underwater and above the water drones, that that would track these ships, that would have the Marine littoral regiments on them, satellites too, maybe. Yes, little satellite mm -hmm. stuff, and um, the survivability of the proposition is is <laughs> dare I say problematic. No, right. I'm told actually that these new, the like the light amphibious warships, yeah, the law. that that will be ready in ten years. Hopefully, the Chinese give us uh, or cooperate and don't make a move. Um, I'm told, what are they? Three, four hundred feet long. Well, I believe that Chinese satellites can't pick those up, uh, nor can Chinese fishing boats see them, as you said. Uh, you know, so so these are this is something. It's an issue that needs to be addressed. You know, if you know, people who want you know us to succeed are saying, "Look, you know, what about this?" If the response is, "Well, you're a graybeard, you're stupid," you know, we war gamed it. Um, well, you know, you still haven't answered the question. You know, so those are some basic issues that need to be, I think, better addressed than they have been. Uh, and that so that article I thought was uh, by the Marinas um, fellow or woman. Uh, I thought was I thought it was worth a look. Uh, and had some good things in it. The, the other thing I saw, which I would not get wide circulation, but I'm involved in this, um, you know, this massive sort of time waster called LinkedIn. Right. And uh, on it, you know, I saw an entry. It was by uh, a Marine, and I'll leave it at that. And it was an answer to the critics of the Commandant and his plan. Mm -hmm. And this Marine, and, and I'll send it to you separately so you can see it. Okay. Um, but there's a comment in there. If you and, and just so you know, you're the second person that's mentioned this to me, and I'm curious if you say the same oh. thing as the first person said. Okay, well, good. The um, the tone of this is, uh, yeah, it, it's what, such that you almost, when you, you reach, say, an age of my age, that you almost just want to throw up your hands and say, okay, take on the Chinese the way you think we should. Take on America's enemies the way you should. Uh, you know, I give up. Um, particularly if it's coming from a younger active duty Marine who's uh, saying all the things you need to do to be one of the in crowd. Um, but what the things that really got my attention in this, and I sent it to a couple of uh, people just, and I highlighted these parts. And, uh, it says, there's a couple of things. One is it, it chastises General Van Riper, and I think it also mentions um, Jim Webb and the other, per the third, third fellow. Um, uh, who General, wrote General Sheehan or Bing West? Uh, Bing well, West, I think. I think it was uh, him. I right. think it was him, but it, it could have been Sheehan, or it could have been any of these guys. Right. But but she, the, the article mentions them, and then it says it, it says something like, um, "We have, you know, what they are saying is is not based on war gaming research." study it's just based on ex their experience 
Well, I've gotten through life and I have often found that experience is very helpful in deciding what to do and what not to do. But the way it, it you know, maybe the, you know, if they had a chance to think about this, they would understand just how stupid that sounded. Uh, that exp basically experience doesn't matter. And what would, would these, you know, Grant, what, me, uh, would these guys ask, possibly know? Yeah, I would ask you, you your opinion of this. And first of all, when when the tone, you're the second person that's told me that's mentioned that, and and they said the the tone of it is insulting right out of the bat. Yeah. And so to me, if 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 this is going to be anything decent, right, you know, debate the question and leave the people out of it. Debate the questions, and the, one, the reason that we find ourselves here is that. The questions have yet to be answered, and you asked one about logistics and survivability, right? Can somebody answer that question without fairy dust? And and I've yet to hear a, a good answer for it. Do these things become invisible? Because if they don't, you know, there's big trouble. I've been also been told that when they war game this, that over seventy percent of the platforms gets that get smoked, and so the war games haven't gone well either, and so. So there's people that, you know, have legitimate questions. And but again, if you can't have a grown up discussion, you know, uh, in an organization where you play you bet your life, you know, and, and, and in my opinion, the commandant is the one that, that should be held accountable for that. He's got to do that. He's got to set the example. And 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 he had a meeting, I've been told, you know. A few months ago, I think earlier this month, early I was told in March, with these retired four stars, and it did not go well. And now we're going to do this in public. And so, um, again, enough of the fairy dust. Yeah, there was another aspect of this that you know, if you you see if you read it, and the the author, it's a little snippet, about a paragraph, long paragraph. Uh, noted that um, about these, the three um, people who had written these um, articles or letters, that, well, with that, what does, there was a word, well, we respect their experience, but we don't, but they haven't done, they haven't backed it up with wargaming and, you know, in-depth research and this and that. We respect their experience. Now we revere their experience. And, you know, that is what, you know, really just, it just hits you like a, like the proverbial ton of bricks. I mean, the absolute lack of, what would you call it? Just say respect, not just respect, but apparently not having lived long enough to have some vague idea how the world actually works and to think that you can figure things out by wargaming and studying. Well, you know, there was this, this tone to the whole thing that, I think that it just might turn a lot of people who were willing to give this plan a chance might turn them off because it's suggesting that well, you haven't done you haven't got you know, done the study so you don't know and yes thank you for your service. Well, yeah. I would suggest that to some of these fellas like uh, you know Jim you know Webb and General Van Riper <laughs> that you know their service wasn't just a little bit of service. I mean these guys used up nine of their ten lives, and and these are. You know, you know, thoughtful guys, thoughtful people, to put it mildly, and they might, you know, to dismiss them the way this person did. And it's a person who is not in the position, they're in a position where it looks like they're 
might be considered the type that goes places. But really there was, I would suggest that if I, if I had written something that dumb, that I would um, try to get the word out that I wish I hadn't written it or that I wish I had said things differently. Um, but it was, that was the thing you can see of all the things going on. That was one that actually jumped out at me. Well, I, the comment did an interview with David Ignatius in which he yeah. kind of poo-poos wargaming, which is ironic because because the question is about yeah um, saw about, right about uh, Ukraine Russia and the war game said this and and then Joan Berger said you know you got to be careful with that wargaming stuff which is ironic because much of you know again what I've heard of force design you know twenty thirty is much of it based on you know very very detailed wargaming. Which, which, and again, when you talk wargaming, the name that comes up is Van Riper because he, you know, he's the guy that blew up the the plan. You know, uh, I think whether I think it was the fight against Iran, and um, and he blew up the plan. I mean, so if you if you say wargaming and Van Riper's name doesn't spill out of your mouth, then you're probably not doing it right. You know, was he involved in this? Uh, no. Okay, yeah. then, then how serious was the endeavor? Because that guy's pretty good at that shit. And, and as you mentioned, Grant, I mean, they've used up nine of their ten lives um, in Vietnam and in other places that we fought, you know, as Marines. And all of a sudden we're going to say, yeah, your opinion doesn't count. Um, again, you would do that at the peril of somebody else's existence. And so, again, uh, very interesting discussion. And like I said, I mean, I, I hope that we can have it in a grown-up way, because pretty, pretty high stakes uh, when you talk about the, you know, the the future of the Marine Corps and the lives of the people that at some point will go in harm's way, you know, uh, living these these concepts. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Let me let me um, ask you about uh, China and the ongoing uh, fight that Russia is waging. Uh, is China navigating? this well i don't see them catching too much shit publicly um uh for their for their stance um well that's they're, they're not getting criticized because they never do um we have too many we've talked about repeatedly there's just too many people in the u.s ruling class making money from china don't want to get the chinese angry then you have a bunch that think well we need china's help with north korea climate change, transnational crime, despite the fact they're behind a lot of transnational crime, but the biggest polluter on earth, and that they don't want North Korea to do anything differently. So it's interesting. You'll notice India has taken a, to put it politely, a nuanced stance on Ukraine and Russia. And India gets savaged as being, you know, a pro-Putin, pro-Russia. And with China, they're just neutral they're trying to navigate you you can see the different treatment that they get and one of those countries is pretty much a friend of the united states the other is a self of self-declared enemy of of ours um no i don't the chinese are as usual they're trying to uh get have things both ways and they're giving the russians all sorts of support trying not to get caught Uh, and at the same time they're trying to keep that the 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 Americans the Westerners on the hook to do business with them, uh, and so they're just doing what they always do. You know, I don't see them navigating this at all. I see it as at best the cynical uh, 
manipulation of an international incident to work it to China's advantage, nobody else's, uh, and to do anything necessary to, to win, to succeed. And that cheating, lying, uh, you name it, they'll do it. And the under-the-table economic, financial support uh, for now, and probably military support as well to Russia is, uh, I would suspect that has not changed one bit, that it is going full so speed So in ahead. terms of what you can see, you have not seen any indication that China is messaging uh, that this needs to end, that in some way, shape, or form, this is impacting us in a negative way. You've seen no indication that that is, that is anywhere close to what they're doing. No, uh, I haven't seen that at all. Uh, it's... You know, if I was, I suppose, if I was, you know, making a million dollars a month for some consulting thing, I could probably find it. But you're, no, the, you're not. You're not. No, well, I have that. But the, uh, it, uh, no. If someone held a gun to my head, I would have just said exactly what I just said. And the, and it's kind of, the Chinese are easy to figure out because this is what they always do. Right. Uh, and they will. If I was the Russians, I wouldn't be too happy right now because the Chinese are going to smell weakness and they are going to try and pick up uh, some assets on the cheap, I should imagine, uh, from the Russians, whether the Russians let them get away with it. Um, the Russians being a sterner stock when it comes to being mistreated, uh, I don't know. But the Chinese will do everything they can to um, drive a hard bargain with the Russians. Next question. Philippines is holding the largest exercise it's held with the United States and, and other allied nations. They had the opening ceremonies for the uh, Philippines-United States exercise, Balakatan. Um, uh, tell us, uh, is that something that we should pay attention to? Is it simply... Uh, maybe the normalization or, or the renormalization of U.S. Philippine uh, ties. Uh, you had uh, Major General Jay Barjron, who I served with in Iraq. You have him down in the Philippines uh, talking about the importance of the relationship. Is uh, is this nothing? Is this anything more than the Philippines maybe steering a more centrist tack uh, as uh, Mr. Duterte? Uh, leaves office? Um, I don't think so. You know, I'd like to think so, but I don't. And here's why, is that the, um, the governor of um, Cagayan province up in northern Luzon uh, is a guy named Manuel Mamba. And he tried to, I think, have his, the, the parts of Balikatan taking place in his province, tried to have them stopped, as I understand it. He's very close to China. Uh, and he was was shut down um, in in his effort, but the part, the reason for that partly partly is that uh, Duterte and Marcos, the the, the leading presidential candidate, um, they uh, don't want to upset the the public, because as we've talked about, a lot of the Philippine public does not like the Chinese. Uh, though a lot of them do, but a lot of them don't. And so what the Marcos is trying to present himself as is as a pragmatist, you know, a guy who can, you know, make, you know, get uh, investment from China, help the Filipinos, but at the same time be very close to the, the Americans and not let the, the Chinese get too close. Right. 
so he's trying to present himself as a, say, a pragmatist for electoral for the purposes of the upcoming election. But Marcos is very close to, the, to China. His family makes a ton of money from China. Marcos is still angry at the Americans for forcing his father to step down right. uh, and leave the Philippines. And so this is a, really a temporary respite, really. And it, you still have this underlying Chinese influence in the Philippine elite that I think poses an ongoing and serious threat to the relationship with the United States. Uh, you know, but there are, of course, people who don't see it that way in at all levels of Philippine society. But it, there is still just as much uh, to worry about uh, as there was, I would say, a year ago. Uh, you know, one uh, thing of interest is that, uh, just geographic-wise, is that uh, the um, in, in the 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 Luzon Strait or the Bashi Channel, that in between the Philippines and um, Taiwan, which is obviously key terrain right, from a military perspective, uh, there's a couple island groups, and one of them is part of Cagayan province. And this was not too long ago, some Chinese investors tried to buy one of those islands. It has a runway on it as well. Oh. And they were, they, were, they were going to build a casino, of course. Uh, the Chinese, the Philippine military was able to get this stopped. So there's still, say, there's still people who can kind of keep a lid on things or keep the Chinese from running rampant um, up in, and also next to Cagayan province is Ilocos Norte, which is uh, Marcos's home territory. And both of those places have always had a lot of uh, MPA and National People's Army, the, the communist guerrillas. Right. Uh, up there, but they also have um, sort of what you put it. They're sort of embedded throughout those provinces. So the Chinese have still have not are still trying. They've still got a lot to work with in the Philippines. So despite Balikatan taking place and it you know, being a good, handsome exercise, uh, that the environment in which it takes place is one that I'm uh, pretty worried about, and I think we're going to hear more of it. Uh, once this, particularly once the presidential election has been held. My, I had one more question for you. Um, what are you writing this week? Um, boy, I just had to write something uh, very kind of short notice about how you would employ the U.S. Marines in the event of a Taiwan scenario, oh. like an attack on Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, so that... And sort of um, what did you what did you come up with? Um, I would put them in really small detachments on these islands where the Chinese would spot them really quickly so they could <laughs> run for their lives. Uh, no, I I suggested a <laughs> few just, other things. You could not yeah. resist, could you? No, I couldn't. But the um, no, I, I point out that there's um, but a lot of things you have to do in peacetime. Say long before the the the, the trouble brews up much less starts. Uh, and these are things that one is, we talked about before, is um, help the Taiwanese armed forces break out of these 40 years of isolation. And so I suggest uh, a substantial Marine Corps training team, a training effort for the Taiwan military, focusing on the Mar Taiwan Marines. Um, and so we do have had small groups go in over the years for a long time, but it's been nothing big or nothing serious. 
Uh, and so I would suggest doing it in a bigger, more substantial fashion uh, as well. And that that's and you know and and you know help them with these you know small unit uh, tactics, ambush, etc., combined arms, the sorts of things Anglico could do. Uh, those would be very useful for them and anti-aircraft employment, etc. It's amphibious reconnaissance and raids, etc. There's a lot of things that we could do to to help them. Uh, and also, there'd be a psychological effect to all of that bolstering morale. But then I also point out that the Marines are going to be pretty busy uh, do it, there's other in other places and that you could, particularly if you're going to use your long-range fires, you can deploy those from the southern Japanese islands. Um, and that limits Chinese maneuver space. Uh, you can reach into where the fight would take place, where the Chinese would be operating. You can do it from northern Philippines. Uh, as well, and um, play a useful role there. And then there may also be requirements around the region for Marines to get involved in um, uh, preventing interference um, from, uh, say, the, the wrong people, but also seizing some key terrain and dominating it may be useful as well. So there's a lot Marines could do in a Taiwan scenario. Uh, the usual images of a D-Day sort of invasion or landing uh, somewhere, but on, say, Taiwan and dropping off a regiment or two. But uh, I don't know that that's all that likely or even possible for political reasons. But there's plenty of other things that we can do to play a, a useful role. Uh, and I would expect North Korea to make a move if something happens on Taiwan, in which case the Marines may be drawn off of there. Um, though this, those are just some of the, the rough ideas that I uh, came up with. But uh, so that was what I, I wrote about. I don't know. I haven't got a topic for the next one, um, but I'll let that sort of bubble up in the next day or two. I was, I'm trying to think of a suggestion. Um, I mean, it's tough for a stand-in force to stand in when you don't have a place to stand, right? And you're going to have to fight to get to the place that you stand in because nobody will allow you in. Um Again, some of the issues that you know we talk about. How does it work, right? Does it? Do we fight from Okinawa? Do we fight from Guam? Is that where we start, and then it goes from there? Um, so anyway, yeah, great? I've ta talked about all those things before, and I think dress them here and there. It's, you know, you, so you're almost at the point. You sound like a broke. I sound like a broken record. No, I agree. Uh, you're almost at this. Uh, you know, throw up your hands stage, um, and. Uh, you know, let the uh, let the whiz kids take care of it. Unfortunately, the others who pay for that. So. Yeah, somebody's going to pay again. You know, okay. So I mean, you have this concept of the and, and again, and so is this thing nested in American strategic policy that would manifest itself in economic, diplomatic, and it doesn't seem to be that way. I mean, we, we're doing joint exercise, but it's, again, as we've mentioned here on this show, ad nauseum, there's no economic incentive in the Pacific that would bring nations like the Solomon Island. And Grant, well, I think in the last two weeks, has said, and it's not like it takes a whole lot, right, financially to do this, right? Um, yeah. So anyway. Not All right, much. Grant. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's relatively depressing. So I appreciate you for coming on. You're, you're, you're never afraid to make it more depressing, and I appreciate that. 
Oh, well, I try not to be. I try to be. A, I'm a positive guy. And you are a positive guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm a positive guy. No, I mean, when your claim to fame is, <laughs> you, you coined the phrase, cautious, cautiously pessimistic. Um, that is not a guy who sprinkles sugar all over the place or anywhere. But I do find it funny and uh, uh, when it's used, and I use it a lot. So thank you very much for coming on. And uh, when you find out what you're going to write, let us know. Sure. And your mm -hmm. last your last piece appeared where? Uh, where was it? Japan. Oh, what was it? Uh, Epoch Times. Epoch I, Times. Yeah, they do good reporting. It was the Korea piece. Got it. Got it. All right, sir. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Anytime. There you have it. Grant Newsham here on a Wednesday edition of uh, All Marine Radio. And that's the sound of Skype ending. So that's that. Um, yeah, kind of broken record-ish. Yeah. Um, again, standing force got to have some place to stand. Um, yeah. If you're part of the standing force. That'll do it. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're if you tuned in late, um, this program repeats itself momentarily. We had some a technical difficulty to start. Yeah. So and I don't know. I wish I could tell you why. I don't know why. Um. So, yeah. Don't touch that dial, Grant. But interesting discussion, you know, with Grant as always on his thoughts on the peace talks that are going on in uh, Turkey between Russia and Ukraine. Two, thoughts on the Solomon Islands. Three, thoughts on forced design debates. I think there's two big things that will come out of the forced design debate. A, can people conduct themselves in a manner that where you can have an, an intellectual discussion about it, or will, like most things in the nation, will it, it will it devolve into name calling, shit like that? You would like to believe that the professional, you know, essentially the officer corps of the Marine Corps, can be the steward of a debate and could look at itself with you know eyes wide open. I guess we're going to find out, right? And then whatever comes out of it comes out of it, but. Um, yeah, Grant's the second person that has, has mentioned whatever was on LinkedIn and said, yeah, quickly devolved into something that was not very, uh, that you would not be proud to be associated with. So, um, so that, and then China navigating the war that Russia has started. And again, China's the Teflon nation, man. Nothing sticks to them. So, uh, Grant, always interesting. Um, tomorrow, Mike Marletto is going to join me. Mike lives half the year in, in Australia, so he's out near the Solomon Islands. So we'll talk to Mike about that. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, on this uh, the force design debate. Get his thoughts on uh, Mike's a, uh, an artillery guy. He was the fires guy, the fires guy for the 1st Marine Division during the march up in 2003. So we'll get his thoughts on... Uh, what he's, you know, the, the things he's seen relative to the war in Ukraine. 
And so, uh, and get a sauce on whatever else. So, Mike Marletto. Interesting guy, always. Um, so, thanks for listening today. I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine Radio. We'll be back tomorrow. And then the Mensa Brothers join me on Friday. Thanks for listening. I'm out. Saved, give me a